All right, we'll just start it up right away with some more of Kayla and Tom. Yeah. Man, so Tom sounds like a great guy. It sounds great. Can, can I ask you, like, more about, like, dating relationships in general, though? Yeah, sure. I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, what is it that distinguishes an official dating relationship from people who are just romantically involved and go on dates? Okay. Well, the, in an official dating relationship, the guy and girl are committed to each other. Committed? What, what do you mean by that? Um, well, it means that they both agree and they're exclusive in their relationship, um, just with one another. It's different than casual dating. Casual dating? What, what does that mean? Um, casual dating is when a guy and girl um, go on dates with one another, but they're not exclusive. They can see other friends. So in a casual dating relationship, uh, both parties, the guy and the girl, can date anybody they want whenever they want to. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But that's not possible in an official, committed relationship because these two people are committed to only each other. Right. Um, they've both agreed that they will see only each other and um, no one else. It's like a form of premarital committedness in a way. They only see each other. Hmm. So in these like premarital committed relationships, how long do they usually last? Like what's the shelf life on these things? Um, obviously not forever. Um, either their relationship will end in marriage or okay. things won't work out and the relationship will just completely end. Why, why would this happen? Why, does, why do things not work out? Does somebody just wake up one morning and decide that they don't like the other one, or what happens? Um, it can be more complicated than that. Like They can still like each other, but realize that their values don't match up, or um, things can just kind of fizzle out and they don't like each other anymore. Or um, either the guy or the girl can meet someone else that they <laughs> like a little better, and that's better than their previous boyfriend or girlfriend. There's a lot of reasons why um, relationships Man. end. That is a lot of reasons. So you're saying that in a committed dating relationship, either party, the guy or the girl, can end the relationship whenever they want, for whatever reason they want, and like the next day be dating someone else. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. But in a casual dating relationship, either party, guy or girl, can end the relationship anytime they want, for whatever reason they want, and be dating anybody else, right? Right. So, what's the difference again? Indeed. Uh, I really like that even though we had that whole thing memorized, we knew exactly where I was going. Kayla was so in character that like when she gets nervous, like I'm like cornering her on something, she drinks the pretend coffee. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's really funny. Um, okay, so I hope that we've seen a little bit in that that exclusivity is really no different from that of a casual dating relationship, right? There is no contract preventing a guy from breaking up with a girl on Friday morning and going out with a different girl on Friday night, right? Nothing. Nothing preventing him to do that. That would be totally socially acceptable. He might, he might be a little sleazeball, right? Can you believe that? He broke up with her that morning. He's already out with Jamie, right? That, that's kind of weird, right? But there's nothing stopping him from doing that. So in spite of a dating relationship's apparent exclusivity, both parties are free to date whomever they want to whenever they choose, right? Right. Uh, so in the end, the commitment of a dating relationship is simply, this is it, 
The commitment of a dating relationship is simply the commitment to tell the other person, hopefully, that they intend to break their commitment before actually doing so. And they don't have to. They can go on a date with somebody else and not let them know that they broke up with that person. But basically, it's an informal contract that two people agree that they will tell the other person before they start dating someone else. That's it. That's all the commitment that a dating relationship offers. Um, that's not much of a commitment, is it? Right? So the authors, I'll tell you what, let's just watch a video. I'm definitely not afraid of heights at all. But I'm just as like afraid of dying as anybody else. You know what I mean? A lot of people say that they're afraid of heights, but really they're afraid of like falling off a cliff and dying. You know, so I mean, if I thought I was actually gonna fall off the cliff, then yeah, I mean, I feel fear just like anybody else does. Hi, my name is Alex Honnold. I'm a rock climber. Free solo climbing is just climbing big routes without a rope. In general, when I'm soloing big walls, it's anything from like 1,000 to 3,000 feet. Honestly, anything above 50 feet is kind of all the same. You know, or anything beyond like 150 feet is all the same. It doesn't really matter if you do 2,000 or 20,000. It's like either way, you're done if you fall. Alone on the Wall was a climbing film about me soloing two big roots. You just have like a cubic inch of finger shoved into the crack. And then you have both your feet just kind of pasted on little nothings. I think soloing requires a certain amount of commitment, a certain amount of concentration and focus, and just to make sure you don't make any mistakes. Like you wouldn't say that it's inherently dangerous. It's only dangerous if you fall off. I mean, driving is only dangerous if you crash, you know? I climb year-round, but I just constantly have to follow good weather around the world. So when I'm on the road in the U.S., I stay in this van. You know, I just park wherever and sleep in the car. Home sweet home. Here's a, here's a brief tour. I mean, there isn't a whole lot going on. Uh, there's a bed. There's a kitchen with, like, a stove, some propane, some water, a bunch of food. Um, I got all my stuff under the bed. Um, that, that's it. Yeah, that's pretty much the whole thing. And for the most part, I'm just hanging out in the van. I mean, it sounds grim, but like when I get to places, I know people and I climb with them. And you know, there's always like a climate community. The climate community is very transient. You know, like people are constantly right. following weather. And, and uh, how sweaty are your palms right now? Like mine are pretty sweaty. Like that's really nerve-wracking uh, to see a guy plastered on the side of a cliff like 2,500 feet in the air. Like one slip of a finger and he's dead, right? It's really nerve-wracking. That's really dangerous, right? But do you, do you know what's even more dangerous than that? Yes, you, you know. Uh, uh, what's even more dangerous than what this guy is doing is to get in a harness, you know, the whole double back and all that stuff, right? Attach to a rope and the guy up top says, I'm Belay, and you're like, Belay, I don't know, whatever, right? But then to start climbing and that rope not be attached to anything at the top, right? Because what would happen if you, you, you guys have been rock climbing, maybe it's just in an indoor gym or maybe it's on an actual wall. You actually, when you're attached to a harness and a rope, sometimes use it, right? You know that it's gonna hold you so you can kind of jump a little bit because if you miss, who cares, right? You're attached and you swing a little bit and then you grab yourself back on. 
if the rope is not attached to anything at the top and you're counting on it to hold you and you use it to hold you, you die, right? If it's not securely attached. So unaided climbing, when you mistakenly think that your safety rope is secured, anchored, is anchored to the top, is more dangerous than what he is doing. See where I'm going? So I think this is what essentially many dating relationships are an unaided climb that pretends to be anchored. So consequently, singles or high schoolers or college students or whomever it is are often not aware of the dangers that they face in a dating relationship that is unsecured. And I think the authors are right in this book in that they point out that women are especially vulnerable with this. This is becoming less and less true, but a woman is more inclined to give of herself emotionally, sexually, certainly, even when this stops short of intercourse, in ways that she would otherwise not do with other men that she might even be attracted to, uh, when there is at least an illusion of security, right? He says he really loves me, or he has, he said he would die for me, or something, right? Uh, so, of course, we're going to get married, right? Uh, guys can think this way, too, but I think it's especially true, uh, especially teenage young ladies, when they think that they're harnessed in and attached securely to the top. But at the end of the day, a boyfriend is no more committed to her than any other guy who may just like her, right? 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 That guy who is her boyfriend can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants at any time, right? So I'm sure uh, some of you dads can tell of some heartbreak in high school or college that you've experienced. I can, but my guess is that it's nothing compared to the heartbreak that some of you moms experienced. Am I probably right? Perhaps you can, you know this from, if you're a mom, you can compare stories with what your husband went through. The authors write this, of this book. On the surface, most women realize intellectually that the commitment of a dating relationship is only temporary, right? When you get into a high school dating relationship or even a college dating relationship, you know that it's, it could end in marriage, but it's most likely temporary. But they began to respond emotionally as though the relationship really did entail some measure of permanency, as though the commitment of a dating relationship was somewhere between the non-commitment of just friends and the total commitment of marriage. But either a man is committed to a woman or he is not. Being temporarily committed is essentially no different than being uncommitted. So they quote one, count, one counselor who tells of a distraught young lady that she was counseling, and she said this, and perhaps you can identify with this. She's going through all the pain of a divorce, and she's never been married. You guys observe this, either with yourself or with others? I have, going through all of the pain of a divorce, and she's not even been married. So, I dated several girls in high school, in college, seriously, and some not so seriously, most serious was my freshman and sophomore year of college. I was at UT, and I was dating this girl that I knew from my hometown. She was at Baylor. I was sure that I was going to marry her. Sure. We dated for a 
like a year in high school and then a year and a half in college. Um, but she was one of several in high school and college that I dated. And in all of those cases, and the ones that I broke up with them, I felt like I betrayed them. And they felt like I had betrayed them, right? Um, some I never intended to marry. Uh, one or two, I did. But at the, in, in the end, I felt like a kind of a guilt, right? Um, of that I've betrayed this girl. Even though I didn't, when we first went on a first date, I didn't say, hey, I'm going to marry you in six years or something, right? But I felt like I had betrayed her. And yet both of us, right, at the beginning would have recognized the legitimacy of either one of us to end the thing, right? And yet the one breaking up felt like they were betraying trust, and the one being broken up with felt betrayed, and you know why that is? Because we made up a new category. We tried to smash this dating category right between the neighbor and the marriage category. We brought with it expectation uh, from the marriage category, and so we were making up rules as we went along. We're attaching ourselves emotionally in, which, in ways in which are intended for a married couple. So, in a dating relationship, we've got this doublespeak coming out of both sides of our, of our mouth. On the one hand, we use words like commitment and trust and love and I want to marry you and I would die for you and all of this stuff right out of this side, right? And then simultaneously, on the other side, uh, we know that we're free to end it whenever we want to, whenever we find somebody else that we like a little bit more even, right? At the same time, and I think that we've kind of got this, we're okay with this now as Americans because it's just kind of the American expectation that you'll go through uh, junior high, high school, and college with several, perhaps many, many trampled and broken hearts, right? It's just the expectation. We want to be able to almost empathize with Taylor Swift and her broken hearts, right? Uh, it's just what we do as Americans. We date, we get broken up with, we break up, we get our hearts broken, we break others' hearts, and then in the end, maybe a few years out of college, we'll finally find someone that we will agree, hopefully, to not break their heart or that they'll break ours, right? I'm just not convinced that that's the way it has to be. I'm not convinced that you ever have to have your heart broken or that you ever have to break someone else's heart. I think, again, we're frogs in a boiling pot, and we're looking more and more just like a baptized version of those around us rather than something radically different. So here's the deal. We are confusing attraction with commitment. We say, I love you, when we really mean, I love the feelings that you give me. I love to be around you because of the way that you make me feel, which is in the end only self-love, right? When I say I love you because what I'm actually saying is I love the way you make me feel, I'm saying I love me. Uh, when you say I love ice cream, do you mean that you care for the ice cream's interests above your own? No, you want to destroy that thing as fast as possible, right? It's good. It, it may, it, you love the way it makes 
your mouth explode into flavor, right? You love yourself. You don't love ice cream. You love yourself. You love the sensations that the ice cream gives you. I got that from Tim Keller in his, in his wife's book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is so good. I, I can't imagine, or I can't uh, encourage you married couples to read that thing through, and honestly, I can't encourage you seventh graders to read that thing through, uh, to be thinking through what your desires are and should be. But Tim and Kathy Keller say that unfortunately, uh, when we say I love you, even in a marriage, that's what we mean as well. I love what you do for me. I love the way that you make me feel. And in the end, even in marital relationships, it can just be an expression of self-love. This is why so many marriages fail. When you stop giving me the feelings that um, I like, I no longer love you because you're no longer allowing me to love myself through you, right? So once that's done, I've really got no more use for you. So I've stopped loving you, and what good is a marriage without love, right? So let's just get divorced. We just fell out of love, you'll often hear. Translation, uh, she doesn't make me feel good anymore. I stopped loving myself through her. So the problem is, is that person never loved the other person in the first place to begin with. Loving another person means straight out of Philippians 2, considering their needs to be more significant than yourself. A putting to death of self-love. And actually caring more about that person than yourself. I don't know, I, I, well, I know that you younger folks who are not married do not want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you this, that attraction and marriage will come and go. And you're like, no. Uh, when we, Marcy and I, in our, I guess we were in our second year of marriage, but we moved to Louisville, uh, and we were in a small group with my pastor and his wife of our small church. And uh, I don't even remember why it came up, but they were in their probably mid to late 50s, and Brenda, Brenda said uh, that she no longer gets like real butterflies when her husband Mark comes in the room. You know, they've been married for 30 or so years. And Marcy got so angry. <laughs> she was like, that'll never happen, Nathan. Uh, even when we're 60, every time you come into the room, there'll just be this volcano of emotion, right? Well, I'll, you'll always give me the butterflies. And, and like, within like a year later, she's like, all right, yeah, I totally get it. But yeah. Uh, and it's not that, it's not that, Marcy and I still aren't, like, extremely attracted to each other. But that kind of uh, young and uh, perhaps even self-loving attraction will come and go. I know you don't want to hear that. Uh, but that's why commitment is so necessary. There's, it's becoming more and more prevalent, even amongst Christians now, to say, look, the piece of paper isn't necessary, right? We're living together, we love each other, and actually that piece of paper is actually going to take all the romance and fun out of this relationship, right? So we don't need to get married. We can just live together and it'll be great. 
Marriage will actually squash this beautiful thing that we have, right? But Keller says that when there is the threat of one of you always walking out, you always have to be performing to make sure that they don't leave. So if you're in a cohabiting, just living together relationship without the actual piece of paper, what are, you're in a relationship that has to always be on its game. That girl that you're living with can leave whenever she wants without any consequence, so you've got to be on top of your performance to make sure she doesn't leave, right? That is, that is not love. That is not loving one another unconditionally, loving each other more than yourself, actually being able to be yourself and love the other person as it is. So it's only when we have the protection of commitment are we allowed to actually be ourselves and actually love each other. It's only when we are anchored in at the top of the mountain that we can actually use the rope and have the security of commitment. So marriage is the goal here. Marriage is the goal. The piece of paper is actually the goal for your dating relationships. And you are unsafe in an uncommitted, unpiece of paper relationship. When you use the rope to give of yourself emotionally, physically, relationally, however, spiritually even, and it is not committed, you will fall to your peril. So the authors of this book give some admonitions. Um, One to the girls. Don't give your heart away until you know what he plans to do with it. Don't lean on the rope unless you know that it's fixed in. And to the guys, stop being irresponsible. Don't try to win a woman's heart unless you plan on keeping it. Stop telling her that you've tied the rope to the top of the mountain when you know good and well it's not tied in. So, young ladies, you women, a man has nothing, nothing, a man has nothing permanent to offer you apart from a marriage proposal. Nothing. So this is just wisdom. This isn't necessarily because I got this from the Bible. I would tell this to a non-Christian teenage girl, too. You're not, he's not committing anything to you. He's not... He's, he's going to use you for what he wants, perhaps, offering you the illusion of security when there's no security. So I'm just saying that this is, this is just practical wisdom. So what do we do from here? So I'm a realist, okay? Uh, I understand that not only are we in 2016 America, but I understand that it wasn't very many years ago that I was in high school and college. Girls were nearly the only thing that I thought about. Uh, just, just a smile or a slight brush of the hand could send 50,000 volts of electricity, right? Any of you guys and girls are in that context right now. So is it bad to feel attracted to someone? No. A resounding no. It is not bad to feel attracted to someone. God has made you a sexual being who wants and desires intimacy with someone of the opposite sex. Those aren't bad feelings. These are feelings that could be given to you by God. Remember, we aren't prudes. But remember, God has designed our sexuality to uh, align with how he has designed sex and marriage. So what do we do? So 
the sexiest book of the Bible, uh, Song of Solomon. Uh, in three, three times throughout that book, uh, we're told to not to, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is a recurring theme throughout. The unmarried aren't told to suppress, aren't told to ignore or deny our romantic feelings. But the unmarried are told not to stir up or awaken. The image here is like uh, you've been camping, right? And the fire has died down and you've got a bed of coals. What will happen to the bed of coals as long as there is a rock ring around it and nobody touches it? It'll eventually not reawaken, right? Maybe if there's some wind or something or whatever. What will happen if you've got a bed of coals and you get a stick and you start poking at it? You're gonna, the fire's gonna start going again, right? Uh, so if you don't stoke it, it will likely stay smoldering, right? Uh, so our sexual passions are hard enough to control without fanning them, without poking them, right? So why would we ever make our lives more difficult, again, which will only lead into sin or frustration? Why would we ever intentionally just start go poking and blowing and going to provoke this thing. Don't go into a grocery store if you don't have money. So the point is not that one should try to repress or deny or ignore his or her romantic uh, feelings or longings or that being attracted to a member of the opposite sex is wrong or necessarily sinful, though it can. The charge from Solomon's bride is that we avoid things that intentionally arouse or awaken sexual desire. So it's natural. It's natural for you to feel attracted to someone who, whom you view as a potential mate, a potential spouse, perhaps even someone in this room. It's okay. It's good. But feeling attraction and fanning into flame that attraction are two totally different things. You hear what I'm saying? Feeling attracted to someone and then poking, blowing, and fanning that thing into flame are two totally different ways of going about it. So I know some parents have told their daughters that they can have guy friends, but not a guy friend. So notice they didn't say anything about uh, labels of dating or courtship or boyfriends or whatever, uh, but they're talking about what John Piper calls emotional pairing. Uh, you can't, and again, not because they think that uh, any fun is bad, they're out to squash all joy with their daughters, right? But for their protection and for their joy, uh, they said, don't pair off, even emotionally, with, a, with another guy right now. It will only lead to sin or frustration. So why? Because they hate their daughters. They don't want them to be happy because their parents are so old and out of touch that they just don't understand how much I love him, right? No, because when they recognize that when you pair off with someone, even just emotionally with the, hey, yeah, right? Uh, you're stirring up. You're awakening. You're poking the coals, you're going to a place where you'll take what's not yours or just leave frustrated. So what? So 
some of you college, some of you later singles, check out the chapter at the end of this book on dating friendships. We'll talk a little bit about this, but they'll get into more depth here. Uh, if you are in that stage of life where I've said, uh, don't start dating unless a date is possible, meaning like a marriage date. Uh, if you are in that stage of life where a wedding is, could be very near on the horizon, um, what they suggest, and I think I agree with, is basically honest friendships that communicate desire for marriage while not offering commitment that's not really commitment. So I had a buddy that uh, was mid-20s, probably six months ago, very early on, I think like the second date with his girl, and he sat down and said, look, I know this probably sounds really weird, but I'm in the marriage business. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a spouse, and I am trying, I would love to begin this, and it sounds weird, basically uncommitted friendship with you to, for two reasons. One, for me to start to begin to explore and figure out if you're the kind of woman that would be a great wife for me, and for you to begin to explore if I'm the kind of guy that would be a good husband for you. But again, not offering uh, a commitment of a harness that's not anchored in. Uh, so we can talk more about that. Perhaps you might have more questions later. This chapter's good. Uh, but certainly for you high school, some of you early college students that are perhaps a couple of years away from a realistic wedding, uh, since your dating relationships and even paired friendships have nowhere to go but stirring up a bed of coals into a roaring fire, my advice is just avoid them. Uh, until a date is possible, re-divert all of that excitement and energy on perhaps a boyfriend or, or girlfriend and put them towards your friends put them towards encouraging and challenging and growing together in Christ, put them towards ministry in your church and your local body, and then you might just find that in a year or two of those, you might just find someone of the opposite sex that is, that is doing and living life the same way you are, and you're like, wait, wait, she's walking right next to me. Uh, we're, we're, we're putting forth our same excitement and energy towards the local church. Did you, guys, did you check her out? Like, I think, what, what, what? Right, and then, uh, and then, you may have something, but you wouldn't have that something if you're just always, like, as a 16 or maybe even a 20-year-old, uh, just looking for your wife or your husband, right? So, again, I'd say have lots of guy friends, have lots of girlfriends. Just don't have a guy a boyfriend or a girlfriend, right? Whatever you want to call it, whatever label you want to give it, that emotional pairing off is what I'm saying just be careful about. Uh, the same pastor in Louisville, uh, he, was, he was great. He, he very intentionally went about being awkward with other ladies in the church. He called it intentional awkwardness. He did not want to uh, give any hint or inclination to the married or single women in his church that he was even perhaps interested. He was, he's a one-woman man, right? Uh, I've tried to do that too, if you guys have noticed. Most of you girls, if you come in for a side hug, I'll head you off with a high five. Uh, but uh, this means 
This means, even for you, non-married people, this means being very careful about flirting, being very careful. Man, I was a serial flirter uh, in high school and college. If it's not going anywhere, then it's just insincere and dangerous. Uh, Stoking the coals. And also, especially maybe some of you ladies, also being flirted with. Doug Wilson says that girls must learn godly rudeness. That's the kind of intentional awkwardness that we're talking about, about learning to create distance uh, when there's nowhere to go but a roaring fire, especially young girls just learning what it means to be just to thank you and move along, right? Uh, Godly rudeness. Um, Okay, so now, if you thought you made a huge mistake by coming here earlier. Now, you've definitely made a mistake, right? Uh, First, he tells me not to have sex, then not to kiss, then not to date, and now not even to flirt. Uh, Yep, that's what I said. uh, But here's the deal. You want to know why that sounds so crazy? For the same reason that I would have pushed back when I was 16, or even 20, and that is Zach Morris, right? (laughs) That is Saved by the Bell, or whatever you've grown up watching the Wizards of Waverly place, right? Uh, because, you've, because you've watched or read The Notebook, because you've watched or read Shakespeare. So it's not, just a, it's not just a current, recent phenomenon. It's not just the Biebs or John Mayer, right? But it's Frank Sinatra and Elvis, right? So it's, I mean, this is what we have as Westerners, this is what we have grown up culturally breathing. Uh, and the authors would point out, it's also Bambi, <laughs> right? I mean, we've got some serial flirting going on in Bambi. Uh, what's the point of Sleeping Beauty? That unless Prince Charming there, it's better just be practically dead, right? Uh, your life is not worth living unless you have remo- uh, relational and romantic fulfillment, right? But until there, but when romantic fulfillment comes, now my life is alive, right? This is what we have been bred to believe. This is the water that we swim in and the air that we breathe since we were toddlers. So this is why what I'm suggesting is so, so starkly different. So I just want to be aware of that, that perhaps the reason this is so alarming or or shocking to us is not because uh, this is like anti-biblical or something like that, but because our consciences are being perhaps provoked in a way that they've never have been. So you might say, okay, yeah, but I know plenty of people that have been in the typical dating Christian relationship, right? And they turned out just fine. It turned out just fine. So stop with all this puritanical nonsense, Nathan. They dated well all through college. They got married, and they turned out just fine. Not so fast. What do we mean by just fine? That it ended in marriage? Okay. I think that most of those that you would say, if we went to them and said they turned out just fine, uh, actually, if we pulled back the curtains, it wouldn't be just fine. Uh, And also, Doug Wilson says, that just because some people escape plane crashes without a scratch 
doesn't mean that we should be in the business of, we shouldn't be in the business of preventing plane crashes, right? Just because we hear of the person that walks away from a fiery fireball explosion of a plane, uh, plane crash without a scratch doesn't mean that we should say, hey, that'd be fun. Let's see if I can make it, right? So this is where we get back to conviction, that your parents, I, your church, your church culture don't want you to just be intentionally awkward or godly rude uh, with the opposite sex just because you're forced to. Compliance with the rules is not the goal, right? Nor is conformity with the youth minister's philosophy of dating. JJ, who ate the pie, uh, when we started talking through all this three or four years ago, he said that, I wish I had this book in high school, but I don't know if I would have listened to it. And I think that's really honest. Um, I know that what's in there sounds right on. It sounds about as right as it can get. But I'm not sure if I would have actually done what it prescribed. Uh, me too. I really, really, really wanted a girlfriend all through high school and college. Uh, but remember that if you don't learn to love God's safeguards for your life, as you prepare to find a mate, you'll hate those safeguards. Uh, and I think that that's why JJ and I probably would have ignored it. I, was not, I, would, I probably would not have been convinced that this was for my joy, my infinite and growing joy in God. So when you become convinced that um, your parents or me or this book uh, are making uh, suggestions for you for God's glory and your good and your joy, then you'll begin to love these safeguards. You'll begin to love these um, parameters in your life. So we typically think that dating is going to bring us more joy than staying single, right? I'm not really happy right now, but if I start dating, then that's when I'll be happy, right? Uh, and generally, that's true. It, it, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, um, so in the context of marriage, that's true. But I'm hoping that I'm convincing you that in this time of your life, that staying single will actually be more joy-giving than dating. That sounds crazy. Cause, why? Because dating will either leave you frustrated or in sin. No joy, either option. So if you're convinced of these safeguards, that they're for your joy, then you'll love the way your parents or I or a culture around you in this church, you'll begin to love the way that uh, these expectations are around you, that God has designed these for you, but you'll have to be convinced, okay? Uh, you'll have to have conviction, like you individually, you'll have to want this for yourself. So how do you cultivate this kind of biblical conviction that we talked about earlier? Josh Harris gives us some really helpful suggestions. Um, one is just to study God's word. Now, you may think, okay, but earlier you said that there's no dating passages, so what's the point in studying God's word and cultivating love for these things about dating? Well, well, the Bible may not talk about dating. We make the mistake in thinking that the Bible doesn't talk about how to interact with the opposite sex. Uh, any passage that talks about interacting with another human applies to dating, applies to interacting with someone who is in the neighbor category. So why don't you just go and read 
Philippians 1, 9 through 11, or the first half of Philippians 2. As you read 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage. As you read Colossians 3, 5 through 17, admonishing and caring and encouraging for one another in the church. As you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, about sexual immorality. As you read Romans 12, 9 through 21. Right in the middle of that, in Romans 12, 9 through 21, there's this command, and this is a really good one. I would love for this to be our culture, not only in our uh, youth and uh, for those of us who are in college or singles, just I would love this to be a culture of desert springs. And this is the command in Romans 12, to to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo each other in showing honor. Uh, If you don't think that doesn't apply to your dating relationships, then you're silly. Uh, and how you think about the opposite sex, if we were to outdo each other in showing honor, man, our dating relationships would be radically transformed. So we should study God's word. We should be informed by God's word to us and how we think about others. We should also just pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance. We, we can't, like I said earlier, it's hard enough to try to do this on our own, to try to uh, point our sexual and romantic desires in a God-honoring way. We need help. We need God's help. Remember, we have Christ's life in us as Christians. We want to be sharers more and more in his nature, being conformed more and more to his image, but we need God's help in this. We should also just humbly seek wisdom and counsel. You should talk to parents. You should talk to your pastors, your community group leaders, and ask for how did, what, what worked and what didn't work in your dating relationships, in your premarital or your marital uh, relationships? How, what, what, was, what, was, what was good for you in this? How did you honor God or not honor God? There are others that are older than you, and uh, again, especially you teenagers, you think that your parents are so old and out of touch. Uh, well, it wasn't too long ago that they were in the exact same seat as you are. Uh, you should also just read books that help you understand God's Word. This is a good one to start with. There's been lots of good stuff that's being written lately, and here's a good one to start with. Uh, but maybe, here's, here's one that we perhaps don't think about very often. This is, we'll just end here, is that we should just honestly evaluate the fruit of our or your decisions. How has dating gone for you? Has it been good has it, has it created more joy in you? If not, I pray that we would just be honest about that and then say, now. <laughs> it's just brought sin and frustration. So the fool in the Bible is someone not who doesn't know what's right, but someone who knows what's right and then doesn't do it. So I hope that after a careful reflection in our lives and just the observation of others, that we would come to the conclusion that, man, that's just silly and not for me right now. Um, so, uh, this, everything that we just talked about for the past two and a half hours or so, again, is probably pretty shocking to many of you, maybe not some of you. Um, so how about this? What questions do you have for me or for others? There's other wise people in this room as well. Um, you have any questions on what this looks like practically or need some clarification on something that I wasn't clear on? Yeah. Um, what does it have to do with the 
That's 1 Timothy 4.12, I think. Um, yeah, Gerald Heestand, that's H-I-E-S-T-A-N-D, and J. Thomas. Sex, dating, and relationships. We'll have, hopefully have a few more back on the shelf next week, but then it's an easy find on Amazon. I think it's 10 bucks. <laughs>